Wow, great episode today. We talked to you a little bit right off the bat about your economy and what is coming. We also wanted to share with you the interview that we did um, with the the guy who's really the spokesperson for all of the trucks, the big rally in, is it Ottawa? I forget. It's one of those Canadian cities. (laughs) Big, huge rally against the government being so oppressive. That doesn't happen in Canada. Also, President Trump, a live interview that happens with him about the Ukraine. Chris Stewart joins us to talk about that and how we are committing national suicide. And finally, the new Surgeon General of Florida on the FDA, all on today's podcast. Kind of a big show. Yeah, kind of. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. You can always watch the show as well and get Glenn's uh, shows uh, as well as Studios America and so many others with your Blaze TV subscription. The promo code is Glenn. You'll save 10 bucks. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast, Studios America, all your favorites from The Blaze. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. We have so much to talk about. I want to make sure that you understand we have verified from the Fed through FOIA $30 trillion that they gave to the banks. $30 trillion. The $95 trillion that we talked about is speculation, taking them at their word. They said they were giving the banks of the world and lending them $1 trillion a week. We don't know anything about it because they can keep it secret. Just taking it that, that it's been 95 weeks. Have they done it again? I don't know. This is ugly. Let me show you what is going on now in Canada. Uh, in Canada, and Canadians just don't do this. They, they just don't rise up. They're kind of like, I don't know, it's cold outside. Do we have to march and protest? Um, you know, I grew up on the border of Canada, and they're very calm and peaceful people and, and everything else. And they don't get riled up uh, real easily. Well, they're riled up. And there's a trucker convoy now to Ottawa. It's a freedom convoy, 20, uh, 2022. It's supposed to be in Ottawa. Uh, I think they're there now. And today and tomorrow, they're saying there were maybe as many as 500,000 people showing up in Ottawa to protest the mask mandates. This is massive, massive. B.J. Uh, Dichter is on the phone. He's a spokesperson from the Canadian Trucker Freedom Convoy. B.J., how are you, sir? Good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? Well, um, good. I wish you guys didn't have to do this, but I'm glad you are standing up. Uh, tell me about the convoy and what you're protesting specifically, and how many people do you think are really going to show up? Well, basically, there's two, um, there's two general areas that we're most concerned with. One is the uh, authoritarian mandates, um, the lack of freedom of choice. And the other is this app, which I discussed last night in Tucker Carlson. And I explained that the other night when I was coming across the border for the first time using a COVID app on my phone, okay, I drive up to the border gate. And I hold my phone to show the QR code to the border agent. And you know what he says? He says, oh, it's okay. I don't need to see it. I said, why? Isn't there the regular? He said, no, no, no. You already popped up on my computer. So as soon as you drive in a certain vicinity of my uh, booth, 
I can see your passport and all of your documentation before you even come here. Oh my gosh. And I thought, yeah, what is that? When do we start, you know, expanding that technology across the entire country? There's your basis for social credit and tracking absolutely everybody, which is what we've been saying about this the entire time. And nobody's been listening to us. Uh, okay. It's just, everything is happening. You know, uh, John Kerry was uh, meeting about the great reset and they asked, you know, is this going to happen? And he said, this is going to happen at a greater speed and intensity than anyone can imagine. And it is all of these things are coming together at such speed and intensity. It is crazy. Meanwhile, you guys are being called racist and all kinds of names. Yeah, well, listen, we're not afraid of open and free speech and dialogue. You get, a, you get in a truck and listen to the CV, it's, um, there's some colorful language, not nearly as colorful as the language of some of these liberals' kids who are playing Xbox and Call of Duty. Um, but we're not afraid of colorful language because you know what? That's the pressure valve. That's why we need freedom Amen. of speech. We don't get along. We don't agree on certain things. Great. We'll yell at each other. And you know what? We'll calm down five minutes later and we'll all be one unified nation. And that's the core fundamental problem of this. You know, we all see that the the basic philosophy underlying this entire problem that with all the truckers are angry and fighting about is we don't want the government to protect us. We want the government to protect our rights. And they've been negligent in that. And they are violating the Charter of Freedom of Rights and the spirit of the Charter of Freedom of Rights to do all this for the Great Reset, for, you know, this authoritarian AI, modern communist, nut, this philosophy, which is completely crazy. So tell me how many trucks are going to show up? Are you, what kind of crowd are you expecting? And when does this really hit? When does this all culminate? Today or tomorrow? Uh, it's going to start trickling in tonight over the next couple of days because there are so many trucks. I, I went to a, a quick delivery into the United States, like I mentioned, uh, early in the week. I left on Tuesday and came back late Tuesday night. I have never seen so few trucks on the road in my life. It was a ghost town everywhere. But there were a lot of trucks going under underpasses with crowds of people in every province of the country, think about that. Imagine in the United States that somebody is driving down, a convoy is driving down, I don't know, I-95 from New York to Florida. And at every overpass, there's a crowd of a couple of hundred people holding up signs. You know, we love you. We support you. Freedom. And that's, that's really the essence of this. It's more than just truckers. Everybody is fed up. I was a candidate for the Conservative Party several years ago. We no longer have a Conservative Party. We have a uniparty. Well, now the truckers have become the official opposition, and this is the outlet that people are using to speak. That's why there's almost $7 million in donations there in a week. It's not about the money. It's they don't have a place to, to park their vote because they don't have a voice in our system anymore. It's a little terrifying what's happening, isn't it, BJ? You know, I, I mentioned last night, I spent a lot, of, uh, a lot of time living in Latin America and traveling through Latin America, not only in some of the most dangerous countries there, not only have I seen 
areas like Alberta, which is our Texas, settled by Texans, turned into the most prosperous economic center of the country, where now it looks like a third world country. Um, it's terrifying what's going on, and it's not stopping. And the underlying, you know, postmodernist philosophy that these people hold these world, and they don't understand it. That you try to to talk to them about their philosophy and point out the flaws, and like Yuri Bezmenov said, you're stuck with them. You can show them that white is white, black is black, and they just don't understand. It's really scary. Let me, uh, I want to play something here. Do we have the audio from the uh, World Economic Forum? Uh, this is, this has happened, I think, last week uh, or early this week. This is the World Economic Forum in Davos talking to all of the elites uh, about the elites. And I want you to listen to what they said. Here it is. At Davos a few years ago, you know, the Edelman survey showed us that the good news is the elite across the world trust each other more and more. So we can come together and design and do beautiful things together. The bad news is that in every single country they were polling, the majority of people trusted that elite less. Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> but listen to them. But we can gather together and we can make decisions. They're cutting us out of all of these decisions. They're not made by the people of the world anymore. They're made all by the elites. And the arrogance, I think, is just going to cause, I mean, it could cause mass starvation around the world alone, let alone upheaval like we've never seen before. I think also one of the problems we do is we always cede ground to them. We allow them to be defined by terms that have positive connotations. Elite is a term with positive connotations. I'm sorry, they're not the global elite. This may sound harsh, but they're global scavengers going across the country, taking up all of our resources and putting the rest of us into serfdom. And to show the depth of penetration that they have, we have, uh, there's an MP that I used to be friendly with that we had a good relationship named Michelle Rempel. And Michelle was on our side. She's a good, good representative. She's a fighter, fighter from Western, from Alberta. Great. Then she went to Davos one year mm. and she was listed on that, uh, the junior world leaders of the World Economic Forum. And she came back and shortly after, I don't know, a couple months later, she started putting out uh, posts on her Twitter profile apologizing that she was a cisgendered white female mm. out of nowhere. And that is completely out of character for who she is. Uh, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with politicians that unfortunately they're just going for the easy money and they think there's not going to be any conflict that way. Well, let, let me, and, let me ask you this. Cause it's not just yeah. the politicians. They are using, I mean, we know they've always used uh, media. I mean, she's the regulations of media, the CBC and everything else in Canada is crazy. But you guys, are you getting your message out? And how is that happening? Because everything is being censored. All of YouTube, everything else. How is this word getting out? 
Well, my little strategy that I've been using this entire time was to avoid any central point of messaging uh, on any of the platforms. So if we had made a Freedom Convoy, I don't know, Twitter account or whatever it was, right? It would be banned. It would be for whatever reason. But I do know there's a hashtag system and we can coalesce around the hashtag system, make it variable and change it up frequently and have the leaders and primary accounts uh, share this information abroad. And that's how we've been subverting all the uh, censorship. So this is what it would look like if we were able to speak openly and not be censored. Uh, this is what you would get. And you would have gotten this last year. This is why they keep trying to, uh, to censor everybody. And you know what, Glenn? I don't want the left to be censored either. I don't either. I want to hear what they yes. say. So when I disagree with them, we can at least engage in dialogue. Correct. So, BJ, last question. Um, Yeah. With everything that's going on, do you think the crowd is going to be as big as you hope? uh, Or are people afraid? They're hoping somebody else will stand up for them. And so it'll be you guys out there. You know, that's normally the nature of not just Canadians, but human beings. They always want a leader to stand up and do the fighting for them. And I don't blame them. You know, they've yeah, got kids, responsibilities, yeah. whatever. But uh, it seems to be the global political class uh, has crossed the line and they made one very big mistake. They wanted Justin Trudeau to be a global brand. Well, they got their wish. And now the convoy to Canberra in Australia is starting up. There's a convoy in Europe starting up. So this, is, uh, this doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. The only thing that I hope you and others can help communicate to your listeners and people who are on the road listening to this is this is peaceful. Do not take the bait from the agitators on the radical left. They will show up. They will throw things at your truck. They will call you racist. They will try to get people going into buildings. We're doing none of that. We're going to have a daily intelligence slash safety briefing from an intelligence analyst who works with us. You can follow the Quiggin Report podcast Twitter for those updates. We're going to work with police, inform them everything that's going on. Keep every because we saw what happened in January 6th, and that's what they're praying for here. They want somebody to lose their temper so that can be the scapegoat for them, and we're not going to give it to them. I pray for you and all that are involved. What you're doing, BJ, is incredibly important. Uh, And hopefully it will inspire millions more all around the world to stand up because we are truly on the verge of losing our our rights that make us human. BJ, God bless you. Thank you, Glenn. That's Canadian uh, trucker Freedom Convoy spokesperson BJ uh, Dichter on the convoy that is in Ottawa, and it happens this weekend. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Mr. President. Hi, Glenn. How are you, sir? Thank you so much for joining us. good. Good. Well, thank you. Uh, So... Are we going? Is Russia going into Ukraine, and what does it mean for us? Well, I think first of all, I know how you feel about it, but first of all, uh, this is 
something that never would have happened. This is not even a possibility what's going on now. This is a total lack of respect for him and for our country. And it's a disaster. Now, whether they go in or not, maybe Putin doesn't even know, because I really think he wasn't going to go in. But after watching a couple of those press conferences and the statements that he's going in, like routinely, I think he figures, well, nobody's going to stop him. Uh, as I've been saying, NATO is a paper tiger because it's going to break up every t- anytime it has a challenge. It really never had a challenge until this. And you see Germany breaking up and others breaking up. They don't want to fight. And all that money is you know, spent on NATO from the United States. Before I got there, Glenn, they were sp- in my opinion, the United States was paying 100% the cost of NATO. They were all delinquent. Uh, other than eight countries, they were delinquent. They weren't paying or they weren't paying anywhere near what they were supposed to be paying by agreement. So NATO is uh, looking like it's uh, seen better days. And it's just, uh, I I think maybe Putin was just trying to negotiate. And he's a good negotiator. And he's dealing with people that don't have a clue. And I think what's happened is they've just said, you know, go in. We're not going to do anything. We're going to put sanctions on. We're going to sanction you. And I think to take over a country for sanctions maybe isn't such a bad deal for him. Jeez. So yesterday, CNN was reporting that um, uh, the president, uh, Biden, called the leader of Ukraine and it didn't go well, according to Ukrainian officials. And uh, apparently Biden said that Kiev would be um, uh, sacked is, I think, the quote that they used. Uh, now the Biden administration is saying that's not true. It went great. We had a wonderful conversation, and we never said any of those things. Who do we believe here? Yeah, well, they also added that, uh, but we might have said it, but they shouldn't have leaked it. You know, it's, it's a bunch of clowns. It's uh, very sad for our country. You know, it all started... As, as bad as the border is, and it's the worst in history, including drugs coming in, but as the bad as the border is, it really started with the horrible and incompetent way they got out of Afghanistan. We could have gotten out with dignity and strength. We were set to do that. I, I got it down to 2,000 soldiers from, as you know, many times that number, and we were set to do it. And you take the military out last, not first. They took the military out first. And then they left the $85 billion and we lost 13 people. But, you know, not only did we lose 13, we had many people really badly hurt. And nobody ever talks about them. But the way we got out of Afghanistan, I think that's when all this stuff happened. Uh, if you look, President Xi of China was watching, Putin was sure. watching, Kim Jong-un was watching. And we became overnight a whole different country in terms of levels of respect. I think it was the most embarrassing day or week that this country's ever had i I just grossly incompetent so let me ask you this uh, because i agree incompetence plays a role but also i mean uh, it's really hard not to say you know your your batting average is so bad i don't know if you're really on the team when it comes to ukraine how much does joe and hunter biden's you know, workings over in Ukraine complicate the the matter? Well, a lot of people, I noticed this morning, a lot of people were saying that 
because of Hunter Biden getting all of that money from Burisma, uh, I guess you could say 164,000 a month or 83,000 a month, different Mm -hmm. numbers. But in any event, a lot, $3 million up front. Uh, because of his great knowledge of energy, when in fact he has no knowledge, <laughs> he had no knowledge of energy. Well, he has. So a- it was a bribe. It was a payoff. I think it makes it. I think it makes it very uh, difficult uh, for them to do what they think they should do. But you have that problem with Russia too, because the mayor of Moscow's wife gave him three and a half million dollars. What was that all about? That's a lot of money. What was that all about? And, of course, you have it in China where they gave him a billion five to manage, where he'll take in hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for himself. So he's conflicted in every level, Whether no matter what country you go to. The whole thing is a disgrace. The, the news today, again, back to Ukraine, is that Putin has put uh, uh, significant uh, trauma teams uh with the troops that's not just positioning you don't you don't you don't normally do that um should we be involved in this should we at least be arming them what should we do well uh europe should be totally involved when germany made the pipeline deal i sent a white flag to angola who i got along with actually very well a different side of the plate but that's okay. She was, uh, she was, uh, she had views that were a lot different than mine in many cases. But I sent the white flag of surrender because Germany made a deal with Russia with the pipeline, and Nord Stream is a disaster. And I'm the one that brought that out. Nobody even knew about it. Mm-hmm. I used to talk about it all the time. Then they'd say, "Oh, he's weak in Russia." Putin would say, "You're killing me with this pipeline." But I got it stopped, and it was stopped. It was stopped cold. But I told Angela, I said, you're tying your whole country into Russia because once you're going to get energy, and don't listen to them when they say 20%. It's 72% or more of their energy is going to come out of Russia. That means that Russia controls them. Russia owns Germany. In one of the dumbest moves I've ever seen, where they're getting their energy, a large portion. And it's remember, it's over 70%. They're trying to say it's 30 and 40%. And even of that, it's too much, but it's over 70%. They closed their plants. They closed their nuclear plants and other plants. They got rid of coal, which was, uh, you know, seeming it to greatness because frankly, the coal was, you know, they, they had great ability right now. They're having brownouts and every other thing. But they're getting their energy from Russia. So Russia has total control over Germany. And Germany's saying, oh, well, we don't want to fight them. They can't fight them because of what's happening with the energy. So it's very interesting to see. But I would really say it is a European problem. Don't forget, we've been paying for NATO. We've been paying for really 100% until I got involved. The numbers went down, 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 like on a roller coaster downward. And I got involved. And I after... My first meeting, I said, you know, you guys aren't paying your bills. And I was very strong on it. Obama would make a speech and leave. And other people would make speeches, Bush, and leave. They wouldn't say anything about it. And I said, you're not paying your bills. And I asked about it, Stoltenberg, who actually was my biggest fan because he couldn't believe what I did. And we had a meeting, 28 countries. We had a meeting, and I said, uh, you got to pay your bills. And one of the president stood up said does that mean you wouldn't defend us 
if we haven't paid our bills? I said, that's what it means. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, which almost didn't get reported. But the bottom line is the next day, the money started flowing in. Darn right. So they, they paid the money, but they don't have the heart to work together. And if you're not going to work together, but this is a big problem. It's really not a problem for the United States. The only thing is we look so bad. We look so weak. We look so stupid after Afghanistan. Well, and, and it, it's uh, the, the the messages that China and all of our enemies are receiving for this are, are quite remarkable. When you were we're obviously Absolutely. talking to number 45 and probably number 47. Um, when you were in office, you said sanctions uh, on Russia 16 times. You had the Nord Stream 2 pipeline sanction indictments right. on Russia five times military action with a counterattack in uh, Syria. Uh, lethal weapons were were. Per- provided to Ukraine, which hadn't been done, 10 million in funding to the Navy. You uh, kicked 60 Russian intelligence operations out of the United States. You withdrew from the INF treaty. You were really tough on Russia. But the most, the thing I think that made the biggest impact, and I'm wondering what role this played uh, with the reversal from Biden, the biggest impact, the way to keep uh, Putin under wraps is to collapse the price of oil which yep, we were doing by being energy independent what role did that well, play did in that this too and and the nice thing about I, I appreciate that list you know some of those things i don't even think of we did all of them and and i appreciate that list i'm going to get a copy of that have that sent immediately to me i think i'll mention it this weekend yeah. i'm in texas where we have a i hear an incredible crowd nobody they don't like to talk about crowd size. Yeah. You know, they never mentioned it, but we could have 85, 90,000 people this weekend in Texas. It's going to be great. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to mention those things that you really do. You bring up items that I've done so many of them. And I, I actually, one other thing, I got along great with Putin, but he said, you're killing me in some of this stuff. You know, I had a good relationship with him. He would have never done what he did, what he's doing here. And, and by the way, that Len, I really believe that he wasn't going, he was doing it to negotiate. And then he saw these people uh, falling all over themselves not to be involved. And he said, wow, I can go in here easy. So I think it's much different. I think two weeks ago, he had no intention of doing it. He was just negotiating and doing his shtick, which he likes to do. And now he's seeing it's like, it's like a clear path because of the stupid people he's dealing with. And is there, what would you say to Putin now if, if you were talking to him? Well, now is a whole different story because now, and he's really ready to go. And, you know, people are amazed at the newness and sophistication of his weapons. You know, I don't know if you've been seeing that, yes. but they are really, they are really surprised by the weaponry. I'm not surprised because that's what he does. I mean, that's what certain of these people do. Kim Jong-un, mm-hmm. he's got some pretty powerful things going in there too. But, and he's starting to do tests like he hasn't actually, like he's never done before. He's really seeing the same thing. They're all watching. They all watched. Look, they all watched what took place in Afghanistan, not the withdrawal, but the way they withdrew. And, uh, just it's very sad i think right now it's a whole different thing and i i must tell you i was asked a question last night i said i wouldn't want to tell you what i tell him because you know you got you can't tell everything you know you're playing a very highly sophisticated game of poker and 
you know, you can't go out to the public and say, I would tell him this or I would tell him that. You got to do what you have to do and tell him things that are very tough. And But you can't reveal that to mm-hmm. the public until maybe after it's all done. But I think there are ways of talking him out of it. One of the things that you mentioned was so important is I drove the price of oil down and that really hurt Russia and was killing OPEC. And now we're going back to OPEC because we don't have oil. Jeez. It's amazing. It's not even believable. We were energy independent just a year ago, and we were going to be double the size of both. And now we're like a bunch of uh, we're like a bunch of beggars. We're going back to OPEC and asking them to give us oil. We're going to Russia. You know, they're they're giving oil to the East Coast. Can you believe it? We had so much oil, we didn't know what to do with it, Len. I drove the price down. In fact, I drove it down so low, I had to get it back up a little bit for the industry itself, right? But uh, that was killing for Russia, what I did. So, And now, now they're talking about $150 a barrel. Which was the point of economic collapse in 2008. It was $130 a barrel in 2008, and it caused... The, That's right. It was the final straw. But who would have thought when I was doing the oil, when we had it down to $25 a barrel, who would have thought we would have ever had this, where this conversation that we're having right now? So everything that you everything that you look at, there is no way that you you can say these people see America the same way America has always seen America. That this is just not a series of mistakes, and you want to talk about systemic. These policies and this kind of thinking systemic throughout the system and inflation is just beginning. Mr. President, yep. is there I mean, are you meeting with people? Let's uh, let's just pretend that you might be running for president. Is there okay. a thought of people getting together and making a naughty and nice list on how you can clean this hornet's nest out quickly? Well, we can, but don't forget, we're having, in my opinion, 10 million more people here. Many of the people should not be in our country. Many of these people are dangerous, very, very dangerous people. Not only, you know, those that plane lift from Afghanistan was a disaster Disaster. because only 3% of those people should have been here. You're going to be reading about this for years to come. Some of those people that came off should not, they're terrorists, and they should not be in this country. And then you see what's happening at the southern border. Last week, 121 people, 121 countries were represented by people that came in. But the numbers are much worse than you're hearing. You know, the numbers you're hearing are, I had the border really at, at the lowest level ever, and that included drugs. And all they had to do is go to the beach. They didn't have to do anything. It was so good, getting better. The wall was almost complete. You know, they could have completed the wall in three weeks. It was supposed to. It took me two years to get it started because I had a, this, the Democrats sued me uh, 11 different times. You know that I won all of the cases, all of the suits, and then I proceeded and the war was almost finished. And then they didn't they refused to do it. It's, it's not even believable it, what, what we're dealing with. I thought that was incompetence, too, when they, you know, they showed the open borders. And then I realized this is really their philosophy. Open borders, no voter I.D., They cheat on elections. Uh, That's all they're good at, by the way, is politics, cheating on elections. But they have a horrible policy. Think of, I mean, 
who would have the kind of policy? They're going to raise your taxes to a level that nobody's ever seen before. That's going to be next. Who, who can get elected with this? They get elected because they cheat like hell in elections. That's about it. It's about all they can do well. If they use the same genius, by the way, for Russia, Ukraine, China, for uh, North Korea, if they use the same genius that they do at cheating on elections, uh, we'd have no problems. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. President, thank you very much. God bless you. Well, Glenn, thank you. Great job you do. Thanks a lot, Glenn. God bless. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. It's the new year, and you know what that means, New Year's resolutions. But if your resolution is like mine this year to eat a little healthier, make sure that you include Built Bars in that plan. Ever since the first time I tried a Built Bar, I've been a huge fan. I hate protein bars and all of that stuff because it usually tastes like it comes from a chemical factory. But Built Bars have changed all of that. Most Built Bars have about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They're also made with 100% real chocolate, amazing flavors that you're going to really love. So get rid of all the snacks that taste good that aren't friendly to your waistline, even if you're not big on working out which I'm also not a fan of, you can at least be eating something that tastes good, but is also really pretty good for you as well. It's Built.com. Built.com, promo code BEC15. Get 15% off your order right now. BEC15, 15% off, Built.com. Joining me today is uh, Congressman Chris Stewart. He is the author of a new book, and, you know, I'll have these guys on, and they talk about a new book, and usually it's like, okay, um, Chris actually is a great writer. He's a great mind. Uh, and his co-author is your son, isn't yeah. it? Um, his brother is a federal judge. Your other brother was a colonel uh, in the Air, Air Force. Force. Um, gosh, I'm missing other brothers. Uh, and you're a congressman. Your family is wildly patriotic. I mean, honestly, and not embarrassed about it. And not embarrassed about it. Uh, and we have been talking about how do we get out of this mess for a very long time. Uh, and first, I just want to get your reaction to President Trump. And uh, I know you're on the Intel Committee, but you can't tell us anything. Uh, but, you know, what, what are we facing here with Ukraine? Yeah. He just said nothing is going to come of it. For Americans, we're not going to other than the message it sends to the rest of the world. Do you agree with that? Yeah, although that's an important message. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Turns out. Well, look, as I listened to you and the, and the president, and I thought it was a great interview, uh, but for the thousandth time, I wished this man was our president still. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to someone yesterday who was, you know, I don't want to say they're a never-Trumper, but they didn't support this president. And I said, look at the world around us and, and tell me that you're not partly responsible for that then. And how could you look at the world around us and say this is any way better than what it was a year ago? I and, take bad tweets every minute yep. at the minute. Yep, yep. And, you know, we have the chaos, but without any of the benefits because Correct. it's just a remarkably different world. I mean, I could not have imagined we'd be in this world in just 14 months. And as I listen to the president, again, I'm reminded of that. 
I think one of the most important things he says, and the people mention this, <clears throat> but I don't think they appreciate how true it is. And that is Vladimir Putin took his measure of this president in the mm -hmm. last year, particularly in Afghanistan. And he said to his staff, this is the time. This is our opportunity. And if he does not go into the Ukraine, it will be because he's changed his mind. But this president, President Biden, is doing nothing to change his Do mind. Do you believe, Chris, that uh, what the president said was true, that he was just negotiating, had no intent, and then watching what's happening, he's like, are you kidding me? You're practically giving me the country. I'm taking it. I think there's, there's absolute truth to that, but I think it's a little more complicated than that as well. Back in April, Vladimir Putin did this and he positioned himself, and most people don't even realize it. We paid very little attention of it to it because we thought, you know, he was just posturing. But uh, we do have analysis and insights into the president uh, of, of Russia now that we didn't have available then. And, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that he actually made a decision we're going to do this mm -hmm. and then every military action he's taken since then reinforces that conclusion. as a military guy i mean because you didn't you sent the speed record uh at one point yeah fastest non-stop flight around the world yeah back when i had a job that i loved yeah okay so <laughs> you were in the military um why would you put these critical medical units right there on the border if you weren't serious and you weren't expecting real trouble yeah well that's exactly right and i mean he's brought troops and and uh, some artillery and other pieces as far away as from the north korean border we've never seen that before his positioning of the heavy armor and other things in belarus which is clearly designed to go directly into the heart of kiev i mean this is this will be a three-pronged uh, military attack and uh, and as i said unlike anything we've ever seen before he's positioned himself for that but i do think that they can dissuade him from doing this. But, you know, sanctions, we can talk about SWIFT, you can talk about repositioning our troops in NATO allies, you know, Poland, Latvia, and Baltics. The one thing that Vladimir Putin fears more than anything else isn't losing some Russian soldiers in the invasion. It's losing Russian soldiers week after week after week from a resistance. And, and is that happening? Are people starting? Well, we'll see what this form? president does. Because if he were to clearly say, we will arm and support a resistance it's not movement. not going to do it. But if he did, that's yeah. again, that's one thing that's that Vladimir Putin is, is really terrified of. That's what happened in Poland. Yep. And we didn't even have to arm them. The president, Reagan, just said, rise up. Support them. We support right. you. We yep. see you. We support you. I think the biggest news for us, Stu, how this is going to affect us, is I don't think we're ever going to be able to go to Chernobyl. We'll never see it. No, that's not. I know. No, we'll never see it. I, they're putting troops, I've heard, in those areas I because know. they're worried about. Imagine having to defend chernobyl <laughs> and the yeah. region around it but yes no i we do need to still go there somehow yeah well maybe we can end our our tour in a gulag in a russian gulag uh, you know great. i mean it could uh, be better than this yeah it could be could be <laughs> um chris i i you are going to be um part of my my friday exclusive on the blaze but i have about 45 minutes with you and i want to talk to you about the book that you just wrote the final fight for freedom I think this is a critically important book at exactly the right time. How to save our country from chaos and war. Um, you know the tech part of it. Um, and I, I just want to spend five minutes on what people don't know that we're facing. Because here's the, here's the thing. Big tech, huge business, 
and governments all over the world know exactly what's coming. And none of them have the balls to say it to any any of their citizens. And it is it is the biggest crime against humanity, I believe, because they know and it is clear what is coming. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not talking about the usual stuff. Hang on just a second. And I want to show you this is from the WEF. This is the Great Reset, people. I want you to listen to how they just spoke about them versus you. Listen. At Davos a few years ago, you know, the Edelman survey showed us that the good news is the elite across the world trust each other more and more. So we can come together and design and do beautiful things together. The bad news is that in every single country they were polling, the majority of people trusted that elite less. Hmm. So the important thing to grab on that is they know and they're designing beautiful things and we don't trust them and they're not telling us. So what is coming? Oh, my gosh. How can you listen to that quote and not laugh? Not openly laugh. The elites trust each other, but the other guys don't trust us. And Glenn, you said they're not only not warning people, as you point out in the Great Reset, uh, they're part of it. They're an integral part of it. And so, I mean, what, what this book does, uh, The Final Fight for Freedom, it talks about what's going to happen in the future. I mean, we actually... And we're not talking future, future. We're, no, talking we're talking around the corner. That's right. We're, and you mentioned, you know, our kids. I mean, I think this is this is not a generation away, the, the, the view that we have here. It's how does society fail, why society fails, and, uh, and the weapons our adversaries are going to use against us at that point. And the premise is really simple. We are committing national suicide. We are so divided Hang ourselves. Hang on just a second, because you and I had a conversation off the air a couple of days ago, and you said that in a very sobering way. You told me you had just come out of a meeting. You couldn't tell me what the meeting was or what it was about or anything. He said, but you and others looked at each other and said, this is national suicide. We're committing suicide. There are times when we have briefings and your jaw just drops. And you just think, how in the world could we do this to ourselves? Because it's not inevitable. And some of the things we're doing don't have to be done. Or we could counter these things. But sometimes you walk out and you realize we're not. Or we won't. We could and we won't. And, and I use that phrase national suicide very, very carefully. But, uh, but if we divide ourselves and weaken ourselves, China's not going to send troops into the Bay of San Francisco. They're not going to have to. Mm -hmm. If you want to know about quantum computing and really understand the physics behind it, read this book. It's fascinating stuff. It is. It's really, you really and I, cool. The one thing I love about you is you're into futurist stuff. And you and I have had calls, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, middle of the night going quantum quantum computing are you are you seeing this yeah. and all of the ai stuff and you address it and you must address it yeah because that's what that's the weapons that our adversary in this case china so give a just give a little preview of what's in the book well it starts out with this scene of a, a person you find out he was one of the elites we just talked about he's a very wealthy very well-known media personality and he's with his daughter uh, trying to maneuver through Washington, D.C., through the gangs and the fires and the violence to find food. And, and that's kind of the, the introduction to this is the world that we're looking at. And again, Glenn, it's not, you know, our grandchildren. No, uh, the society, we'll be alive. We, oh, for sure. Yeah. For, for sure. Yeah. And, and you just kind of back up through it. Okay, we weaken ourselves. At that point, China acts. They use quantum. They use biological weapons, CRISPR, which is terrifying, uh, drone swarms with AI, 
and, and they don't do it in a military attack. They do it to attack our society. But then you have to say, well, what is the answer? Is this inevitable or can we fix this? And we can fix it, but it's not going to be easy. But the answer is really quite simple. You have to create this pressure relief valve to keep our nation strong enough that China doesn't attack us. And in my view, the only way to do that is through severe federalism. Hey, if California wants to go nuts, and in some ways they have. But in they, some ways? Yeah, okay, I'm trying to be generous. In, I was just in Colorado. <laughs> These people are insane. Well, what they're uh, doing with water is insanity. Well, so let's talk about California real quick. So they're going to double taxes in order to provide uh, uh, medical benefits to everyone, including people who are there illegally. Hey, if California wants to do that, knock yourself out. But I'm not paying for it. But we, but we shouldn't have to. Correct. People in Texas shouldn't have to. People in Utah shouldn't have to. Let the states decide. It was the way our founding fathers intended it. If you want to be in Vermont, if you want to be in Portland, where you're going to legalize marijuana and legalize heroin, hey, I think it's insane. But if you locally and as a state level decide to do that, then go ahead and do it. But we're not going to. And the key to this is you don't feel like you're having this stuff jammed down your throat by mm -hmm. a federal government that is compelling us to do it. People will then migrate to the states to support their values, support the things they believe in. And if we were to do that, we could keep our country together. We could, it, we would be different, but people would so, be living in places and, and, pre, and living under governments that they support and they don't resent. So there are a couple of things that point to its favor. And one of them is uh, all the, all the Republicans, uh, I should say, uh, the conservatives, and especially those in living in, in Texas, when Obama was the president, they were jamming all this stuff down everybody's throat. They were like, you know what? Just secede, just you know, Tenth Amendment, and uh, you know, we'll live our way, and you're not going to tell our state what to do, or we'll secede. I don't. I'm not for seceding, um, but the Tenth Amendment. The liberals went crazy until Trump was president, and then California said that Tenth Amendment's really important. Yeah. So there is some sort of an appetite for that. Well, there is no, no question. I mean, look, we live in a day where people actually in a serious way talk about civil war, which would be a catastrophe. There's exactly. no way that you can ever support that idea. Again, what are we going to do? Go out and shoot our neighbors because that's what it would be. It's not north versus south. And then they say, well, maybe we need an amicable divorce succession, as you've said. But again, it's completely impractical. For one thing, it destroys our nation. And the second thing is, look, we can't agree on the simple things. Do you think we could peacefully agree on how we're going to divide Social Security or our military or the national debt or ports and rivers? I mean, how could we possibly imagine we could have an amicable divorce over and with those I gotta, enormous issues? I have to take a break. But when we come back, I, I want to hear your response to these. The 40 percent of the American people, 40 and there's Democrats believe that if you don't get your kids vaccinated, you shouldn't have access to your kids. They should be taken away from you. 57% are basically talking about camps yeah. for other people. I can't live next to somebody like that. I have nothing in common because we don't agree on human rights anymore. We are back with Congressman Chris Stewart, a Republican from Utah. He has written a book that is a must read, The Final Fight for Freedom. You will begin to understand not only what you're facing, but also how fast it's going to happen. The book starts, and a year later, you're looking for food out in the streets. And yeah, and in, 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 in a very credible way. We don't have to stretch imagination. We don't have to step outside of reality to create that kind of scenario. And, and Glenn, the, the important thing, again, is that it doesn't have to be that way. 
We can stop this from happening. I mean, I want to come back to the point before we took the break about you're yeah. saying 40% of them would, you know, take children away from someone who hasn't been immunized. They also, about the same number, 40%, would take children away from someone that they consider a racist or a, or, or a nationalist. Well, that's all of us in their minds. I mean, the Department of Justice has made it pretty clear. You're a, you're a domestic terrorist if you go to a school board. And so how do we, how do we come back together? I mean, I've said this for a long time. Our UNAM used to be the Bill of Rights. Yeah. We don't have that anymore. No, not at all. And one of the points we make in this book, and it's ironic but true, the Bill of Rights would never be approved by this Congress. Never. In this world. Never. It just wouldn't be. Uh, I, I, I think maybe two of them might. You know, you can't uh, house federal soldiers in someone's backyard or in their right. basement. Yeah, right. that one maybe. Uh, but many of the others simply wouldn't be. And this is kind of the kind of the moment we're facing. Look, if you want to argue about tax policy or, you know, a few of these things on the margin, but we're talking about fundamental rights, fundamental freedoms, the Bill of Rights. And how do you compromise on those things? You can't. You just can't. Na, 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 na.